Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, and today I'm absolutely excited to have as my guest, Mark Shutter. Mark is from the great and grand state of, of Washington. And before we get into our topic of discussion today, I am going to go ahead and just read a brief bio. Mark has lived his entire life in the Pacific Northwest, where the land, nature, and people both inspire and fuel his writing. His poetry has been featured in several print and online publications, and he is the author of his memoir, Cowboys Are Not Supposed to Cry. He enjoys horses and mountain biking when not writing, he believes in the ripple effect that if you touch one life, you may touch the world. And for it to share the journey, however brief, is a wonderful gift. His wish and his ultimate wish is to share the joys, the sorrows, the hope, and healing to inspire others to live despite the grief we all carry, because in his words, there is life after. And I got to add, Mark, my granddaughter, Brianna, is one of your biggest fans she shares your love of nature. She shares your love of horses. And maybe the, due to the fact that now that she knows you're going to be a guest on the podcast, I can finally get her to listen. But beyond that, welcome. I'm excited to have you here today. Um, we also met through, uh, through our shared uh, involvement in the Global Grief Network um, that was facilitated by Tony Lynch. And Mark and I have sat on a couple of panels together. So without further ado, welcome, Mark. Thank you, Dave. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I know this has been a, a while as we coordinated schedules to, to, to get this to happen. So I, I can't wait for the conversation. I know it's going to be a great one. And like you said, we've known each other for a while, kind of connected through the Global Grief Network. Um, Brianna's great, your, your granddaughter. Um, I'm glad she's a fan. And I hope, I hope she listens to this. I hope this gets you another listener on your podcast, at, at the very least. I hope so, too. But we shall see. Brianna yeah. kind of kind of beats to her own beat. She beats to her own, you know, she beats to the beat of a different drummer, but yeah. that's what, that's why I love her so much, because she's unique. Yeah, not, there's room Absolutely. for, there, there's room for all personalities in the world, so, but, uh, Mark, let's get started, and I would like you okay. to tell your listeners to tell us about the event or events that have shaped your current life path. Okay, well, um, it, it is a long story, so I'll try to be as brief as possible. Um, it is 2023 right now. And in 1993, 30 years ago, this last April, uh, my first wife died of um, metastatic breast cancer when she was 27 and I was 28. We'd been married just over, just over five years. Uh, about two and a half years of that time being married, we had been dealing with um, her, her medical issues and you know, the, the cancer um, treatments. Um, coming out of treatments and then the, the cancer metastasizing in her lung and at the uh, a spot on uh, in, in at the bottom of her brain and just um, really dealing with all of that. At, at a young age, we started dealing with it when both when we both lived in Bellingham, Washington, where it was just the two of us. We had no family there at all. Um, no family around. We had friends, you know, because we were living up there, but no family. We moved back to Idaho where family was, um, had about a year of reprieve, I guess, when the cancer um, re resurfaced. And from that point, when she was diagnosed in the fall of 1992, um, she died five months later in April of 93. So it was a very quick progression of from diagnosis to her, her death. Um, so from that experience, 
uh, I like to say I moved on. I didn't move forward, but I moved on. I did what you know I thought society expected of me, what I expected of myself, and kind of put everything away. Uh, eventually got remarried, had a daughter, and some 25 years later, things started to come back. The grief, the trauma started to come back. I had pushed it down as far as I could go, but it just kept started bubbling up. And thanks to my wonderful wife who told me, I think you need to talk to somebody. Um, I sought out a counselor and him and I, he actually wrote the, the intro to, to my memoir. Um, my wife encouraged me to write a book. He encouraged me to write a book and it just kind of snowballed from there. Started putting pen to paper, went back to a lot of my poetry, which was based on my experiences. If you read between the lines, um, I never came out and actually said it, but if you read between the lines, that's where, that was kind of my therapy in a lot of ways. That was, those were my journals. The poetry was my journals. And, and then started writing the book and the book came out just two years ago. And it's my story of, you know, the loss, the, the grief that I went through, the pain, and then also the healing to life on the other side, to encourage people that there is a life after. And that's the part of moving forward, not just moving on, but moving forward wholeheartedly. So, and that's what I want to encourage people with. Well, that sounds like it's a very inspiring message and that's a very inspiring journey. And I can, I can share you. the trials and tribulations of, of having a love, love being, having a loved right. one with cancer, with my own daughter, Janine, yeah. who would, and the, there is a, and as I've said this on other podcasts, sure. there are certain very unique issues and challenges that go along with the terminal illness. And one thing that I've said Absolutely. is there's the grief before the grief, um, yeah. you know, where we see the person lose their physicality, their spirit, mm -hmm. their personality before the actual, you know, before the actual yeah. uh, passing. Um, yeah, I would just yeah. kind of jump in real quick you, on that. You, you, you certainly, you, you, could, ju yeah. you could jump at any time, time you want to, Mark. Any time you want to, Mark. As I recall back, you know, when she was first diagnosed and we started seeing the oncologist and, you know, developing a treatment plan at that point, if you will. Um, uh, Luca, my first wife, she was she was point blank. She wanted to know, you know, what's, what's the prognosis? What's, what's going on? She, she, she had that kind of mindset that I'm going into this and I want to know. And she asked him and he, he, he was honest. He said, he goes, it's serious. Um, I've seen miracles happen. I believe in miracles. However, most people with this type of stage four cancer, you're talking five years at the most. But we walked out of that day with hope that, hey, we got five years, you know, we're mm -hmm. young, we can do what we need to do. She lasted five months. So it was, it was, it was a going from that, that hope of, oh, maybe there's some hope in the future to he was dead in five months was just a traumatic you know and like you said the whole caregiving and all of that wrapped into as you watch her go downhill and especially in the last couple months where she just went downhill very very rapidly so and and being 28 years old and having never dealt with that anything like that um, um we had no kids uh it was just the two of us it's like what do you do with all that you know especially as, as a man of i don't know what to do to help other than just be there sort of thing well, and sometimes presence is all the is can be enough. I mean, I I never yeah. had the physical caregiving skills for my own daughter, but I tried to be as emotionally present as I could, and you know, right. while I was dealing with my own challenges and struggles with her illness. Um, of course. You know, one of the things that this is on your website, and I really like this. This really resonated with me, and I'm going to quote your words is that I, I offer help and support to those struggling because you just can't ride off from it. And I like the, the play on your love of horses yeah. for that. Yeah. 
Uh, exactly. Buried pain will always come back. Can you elaborate on that a little more? What exactly, how did that manifest for you and how have you seen that manifest in others that you've companioned? Um, it manifests, for me, it manifested in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I would say spiritually, emotionally, even physically. Um, you know, the combination of factors, but I started getting migraines, which I never had my entire, you know, adult life until I hit, you know, late forties and I started getting migraines and it's like, there's stuff going on. And just the emotional aspect of being plateauing, if you will, kind of just plateaued. Things were not horrible. I mean, I had a, a, a you know, a good life, you know, um, beautiful wife, wonderful daughter, but it's just like, there's like, there's missing something. And when it resurfaced, um, in my case, cause I, I didn't for 15, 20 years, I didn't talk about it. I didn't bring her up. I didn't share it with new friends that I had been previously married. Um, and if it came up, I dismissed it. Um, you know, I said, yeah, it happened a long time ago, you know, but I've moved on and things are good now. Um, I didn't even go and I didn't allow myself to go there very often unless I was by myself. So the fact of, like I said, it's struggling, um, it resurfacing, the pain coming back. It's like if, if I think in a lot of ways, if you have a physical injury and you don't heal it properly and completely down the line, it's probably going to resurface in some way or it's going to at the, at the least, it's going to affect how you move or live in some way. And that's kind of where I'm going with that. It's like the, the pain will always come back. It's unhealed trauma that, that we carry with us. And, and I still carry some of that trauma with me, but I've learned to put it in perspective a little bit better, if you will. Um, still have some days, you know, I'll be honest with you. Um, and that's one of the things we could maybe get into. It's like, yeah, it was 30 years ago that she died, but I still miss her. And there's still days where I think, I mean, and, and, and I, I go into this of what I, what I term fallacy of memories, because my memory is of a 20, 25, 26, 27 year old young woman. She'd be in her mid fifties. Now she would look nothing like how I remember her. So there's, there's a fallacy there, but at the same time, my mind sometimes will go, I wonder what she'd be like now. You know, we would have been married over 30 years by this point. So it's like, oh, wow. It's like, you know, it's, it's some of those things that you, you wrestle with that still come up occasionally, you know, because you carry that with you of the loss. And it wasn't the way you had expected things to go, if you will. No, and I mean, I think, of, you know, when you talk about losing a wife or spouse at a very young age, that's just cat. That's a catastrophic loss. I mean, that's not something we're, you know, we're any loss that that kind of interferes with the natural order of the universe that, that really yeah. shatters our assumptions about how the world is supposed to operate. Just mm -hmm. really, I think for from my perspective, well, causes us to take pause and say, okay, what kind of life do we want to live now? Where do we want to right. go from here? Um, Absolutely. And I, and I like the fact that you said it, you know, 30 years, yeah, the grief still comes back because it's going to. The pain is going to resurface. But we just know, you know, for me, it's been over 20 years since my daughter has passed, right. or as I like to call right. it, transition to a, to a, to a new existence. Um, mm -hmm. I've I still have days where I yearn for her presence. I still have days where I miss her, but mm -hmm. I but I understand. But I've learned how to integrate it better because of right. you know the fact that I've I've had to to revamp my assumptive world and realize that the world I live in now is different, and I've come yeah. to accept that while still while still grieving her when I when I need to when it to, yeah 
when it occurs. And grief is very much a circular process. It isn't, it isn't a linear process. <laughs> yes. It doesn't go in steps. No, it sure does not. It, doesn't it sure go does in not. Steps. Yeah. I mean, thinking about that and I, you know, I don't want to speak for you because, you know, um, everybody's experience is different, but I know it's been yeah. 20 years for you since your daughter, you know, um, and it's been 30 years since Lucas gone. But, but going into that with, you know, like you said, the, the death of a young spouse when you're young, the death of a, a child, you know, I'm, and I'm comparing and contrasting, I probably shouldn't go here, but I, I walked out of that and I, 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 I categorized it in, in, in my memoir of, I walked away, you know, after her death with a suitcase full of dreams that I didn't know what to do with because they were dreams we had made together. So I can imagine, you know, dreams you had for your daughter as she got older and stuff, what do you do with all those dreams? You now have to find new dreams, you know, for yourself, with somebody else, if that's going to happen. For a long time, I didn't know what to do with those dreams. So I just stuffed them into a suitcase. And basically, that's where all those dreams went. Because along with her physical death, all those dreams went away, too. Those dreams of growing old together, having kids, you know, in our lives together, what we were going to do in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine it's somewhat similar, you know, with losing a, a child, the dreams you had for your child. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very and similar, that's, that's, and some people don't see that. No, and I, I think well, a lot of times we tend, I think, to see the differences as opposed to the similarities. And mm -hmm. I can meet somebody at their worst loss. I could meet you at the the worst yeah. loss of your life, which is the loss of your your first wife. You could meet me right. at my worst loss. It's just a matter of understanding that the process of grief that we go through is different. The issues may be exactly. different. But it's our job to just bear witness to, to understand the difference and to respect mm -hmm. those differences and to help each other navigate grief, you know, given our current circumstances, as, a, as opposed to, to judging whose loss is worse, which path of grief right. is better, because it all works. Yeah. It's just, it all works. It it's all just, works. It's, it's just a matter of it's, understanding that from that person's perspective and then companioning right. them and meeting them where they're at. Yep, exactly. I agree. So, what do you see, or when we, when you were a young man, what did you see as society's expectations for how a young man is supposed to grieve? Thirty years later, what is your current perspective? I want to preface this by saying, thirty years mm -hmm. ago, there wasn't probably a heck yeah. of a lot out there as far as grief resources. Not as much as there is now, no. but particularly not for not. men but particularly not for men who have experienced a loss of a, of a spouse. So I'm just going to throw it, that out there and just, so give us your perspective <laughs> then and now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always like to, you know, um, preface this conversation or this part of the conversation as this is my experience. I'm, I'm speaking directly from my experience and I know, you know, other people may have had different experiences. But like I said, 1993, there was no social media. There was no Facebook. There was no, I mean, I, I distinctly remember after leaving the hospital um, that afternoon and going home that evening, I made phone calls to family, to friends. I picked up the phone and called people and told them that she died. I didn't post it out on Facebook, you know, mm -hmm. to get 3,700, I'm so sorry for your loss. Like I actually called people and talked to them personally. And, and I had family. My, I think my mom and dad and some other people called people also. But you had to take, you know, those physical steps. So there was that difference. But back to the kind of the expectations, you know, and grief resources, 
I only know of one grief support group that the, the, the Cancer Institute offered, which is the only thing I was made aware of. I went to a couple of months after she died, I went to a couple meetings, felt very out of place because it was generally mostly older people, you know, who'd lost a, a spouse um, and mostly women, to be honest with you. There was, I think, one guy there, one older gentleman. Uh, I stopped going after two sessions. I'm like, I just feel totally out of place. So, yeah. and, you know, and all my friends were in their 20s. So our friends were in their 20s. So people, I don't want to say they treated you different, but you felt different. I felt different. Like all of a sudden I'm not, you know, I'm single and I'm not married. And so it was a very different time. So the expectations then go to the aspect of the well-intentioned, well-meaning comments that people make about you're young, you'll find somebody else, you'll be okay, you're strong, you'll get through this, um, she's in a better place, um, you just hang in there, we know, we know um, that you can make it through this. So those sounded to me like expectations that I, and maybe they weren't coming to, but they sounded like expectations to me. So I placed those expectations on myself. I have to be strong. I have to, to move on. I have to be better. So that's where I came from the aspect of I stuffed it down. You know, I just completely mm -hmm. stuffed it down. And I, at the time, I didn't really realize, I didn't put that into context. It was more of just kind of a um, unconscious reaction, I think. But over the years, and especially in writing my book, you know, with the title, Cowboys Are Not Supposed to Cry, because, you know, that whole play on words that, you know, men are not supposed to cry sort of thing. Um, uh, it's like, you know, and then the, the, the subtitle of, of my book is a question of, and the best thing you can do with death is to write off from it? You know, question mark. It's like, and that, that's a lot of my pondering in the book. But I realized in the last couple of years, as, I, as I've done some, you know, some deep soul searching and, you know, through my, my counseling with my counselor and, and, and others, that in a lot of ways, and I don't, I don't blame people for this, but there was an air of almost being that my pain at that time being dismissed. Because, oh, you're young, so you'll find somebody else. You don't have 60 years of memories. And so there's a, there was a little bit of it. And I kind of, you know, I, I look at that now and I'm like going, yeah, some, sometimes I feel like my pain or they didn't bring her up at all, you know, because mm -hmm. they, they, they don't want you to feel sad. Well, I'm already sad. It's not going to make me any sadder. But they, they didn't bring her up. And so I felt like, well, my pain is not important, if you will. Yeah, it was only a little over five years that we were married. And we were you know, together for a couple of years before that, before we got married. So it wasn't a long relationship. But that doesn't mean the love wasn't there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like just because we didn't have 50 years or 40 years or 60 years, there was still, it was still very traumatic for me. And I've done some research on attachment theory, if you will. And, you know, one of the things I heard was, you know, some people who, 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 who get very attached, which I believe I'm one of those. I am, I'm loyal. I like to think I'm loyal to the core and, you know, I get attached to people that, that I care about. When, when, when we lose somebody we're very attached to or even a thing that we're attached to or a pet, um, what I heard was some people who, are very, who, who become very attached will either not get attached again because they don't want to get hurt or they will immediately get attached again to somebody else because that's who they are. They're, mm -hmm. They get attached. And that's kind of what happened with my wife now. You know, um, I moved on forward, if you will, a little bit and got married pretty soon after, after Luca's death. You know, and Carrie and I have been married for, you know, almost 25 years now or 25 years, a little over 25 years now. So because that's who I am.
You know, I want somebody in my life. I didn't want to be single. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe we rushed into it. You could go down that line and stuff. But but back to the expectations thing. I think I think society has um, just kind of a, a skewed sense of what grief is. Um, and I, I think about entertainment, and I think it's changing a little bit over the last few years. But if you go back to a lot of the movies, you know, especially cowboy movies, you know, don't let them see you cry and you know, man up and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at a lot of men in, who, that, who are portrayed in grief. Um, I think of one movie, and I think it was um, Gil Magnolia's, where they really focused on the women in the movie and the, the death of the, the one daughter. But there was nothing about her dad or her brothers. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they were grieving too, but they didn't bring that into the movie at all. And then there's other movies where um, the, the man loses a, a spouse um, or loses, you know, family members, I think of um, Tombstone, and they go on a murderous rampage, you know, with Wyatt Earp and with, with, with no repercussions, you know, they go on this murderous rampage to get vengeance and all this stuff. And I was like, if we did that in, in today's society, there'd be repercussions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd be accountable. Or they become just um, shadow men, if you will. They fall into addiction. They fall into, and, and you know, and, and it's easy to do. Um, it's very easy to do to just pull everything inside, you know, and I pulled all those emotions inside um, and just and just move forward, if you will, and kind of going through the motions of life. So I think expectations are, are changing, but I think expectations of, of young men can sometimes be different than, and that's this is my experience. I, I can't speak. Mm-hmm. I'm, I haven't lost a spouse at a, at, a, at a later age. But, you know, there's that, well, you know, you can sit down and talk about the, the, the 60 years of memories and be appreciative and thankful for the long time together i'm thankful for the five years together but there's not as many memories but people would look at it from the outside and go well you only had five years you know you didn't have a lifetime together so you're paying you know i i don't know you take all those things that, i don't know if i'm making any sense or i'm just rambling but mm-hmm. those are things that go through my head at, at times mm-hmm. so. yeah and i think in terms of, like you said, with the expectations of, of men that we're going to basically just, you know, feelings are make us more vulnerable, feelings make us more weak. We kind of just, the thing that, I, I one of the things I resonate among everything else that you said about the expectations was that we, when we keep things inside, and we, and a lot of men will keep their emotions inside, it does lead to anger, it leads to irritability, it leads to depression, and it can lead to addiction. That's how depression manifests. With men, right. depression tends to manifest more after any type of, of life-altering change, more in terms of irritability, where with women it's more sadness, but it's depression nonetheless. And yeah. I've always been the firm believer that men and women experience feelings just as intensely. We just deal with them differently. We may distract yeah, ourselves from our feelings. We may work ourselves way through our feelings, but well, we have them. Yeah. And yeah. and the other part, the other thing is that there are a certain percentage of men too who are very much intuitive, who are very much lead with their feelings. So it's not really an all or nothing or either or. I think it depends on the situation. It may be like seventy five percent of grief with men manifest according to specific. Ex, you know, yeah. sexual expectations where 25% doesn't. But the bottom line is that for, I think for both of us, and one of the commonalities I see is how we move through it 
was through mm-hmm. talking about it through our writings, talking about it, yeah. you know, in in panel discussions, in workshops. That's how we were able to work through those feelings, and absolutely, it all works. And if mm-hmm. we if we can just understand how we how each other, each sex deals with feelings, how they manif- how they manifest, how they deal with it, how they process it, it'd be a be easy. It'd be easy for us to just witness that and not try to yeah. change it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, that was a that was a <laughs> quite a quite a mouthful in about ten minutes or so. That was great. It was. It, it was. was. Now I want to get into some of the current work you're doing. Um, yeah. The Job two thirteen project. I saw this on your website, and the concept mm-hmm. blew me away, because as you know, we've talked about this off, you know, off screen. I'm not totally scripture based in terms of my spiritual beliefs, but right. I imp- I mm-hmm. implement scripture along with other things when it I feel like resonates with my current yeah my my current spiritual philosophy. And this uh-huh. the message of Job two thirteen just blew me away and just I'm thinking to myself, man, every grief coach, every therapist should really read the message behind (laughs) this because that is to me the key of being able to effectively work with individuals Mm -hmm. who are going through trauma. So with that, talk about the the inspiration for the Job 213 project, what your mission is with the project, what you Mm -hmm. hope to accomplish, any and all of that. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. And I'll, I'll just start by saying, you know, faith, Faith in 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 Yah, um, Yeshua has has always been a big part of my life. Um, have I struggled with it? Absolutely, especially after Luca's death. And you know, she was a believer also. But you know, I went through a phase where I still believed in God, but I didn't want anything to do with Him. I was angry at Him. You know, it's like, okay, you just stay over there, leave me alone, and I'll do my thing. Um, coming kind of full circle now, you know, um, uh, my family and the faith has gotten me through a lot of times. So anyway, the Job 213 project, you know, and just to kind of paraphrase, you know, the book of Job, Satan comes down and, and God allows him to take everything away from Job. So at that point, Job has lost everything. And then um, in, in verse um, chapter two, verse 13, and I'm paraphrasing, his three friends are coming to console him because um, uh, he's lost everything. And they see him from a long ways off. And they come and they sit down on the ground beside him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word because they see that his pain is very great. And then, you know, the the next 36 chapters of Job is all about his three friends telling him what he did wrong, why he sinned, why all this befell him. And before God comes on the scene and kind of chastises them all. But that, 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 that one scripture jumped out at me as I was reading a while back. And I was like, wow. They sat and, 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 you know, and I broke it apart and I said, they saw that his pain was very great. First, they, they, they were aware to, you know, not dismiss his pain. They saw his pain and then they came and they sat down on the ground. They got down to his level. They didn't stand over him. They didn't make him get up. Come on, get up on your feet. Let's go. They got down to his level and sat on the ground. Um, and no one said a word for seven days and seven nights. I've read that over and over going seven days and seven. I can't even go 30 minutes without saying a word sometimes five minutes, you know, in our, in our day and age, you know, or it's just like, I can't imagine the silence around. I, I assume there was a fire there. I can't imagine the silence, but just having that, you mentioned it earlier, presence of they, they sat there for seven days and seven nights 
that's like an eternity in today's things in our I want things now world. And it's like, and again, no one's speaking a word because they saw that his pain was very great. And I was like, wow, could I do that? As, 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 as a person, you know, helping people, which I've, you know, transitioned because I didn't do it for, I mean, I, I help people without letting them know of my journey, if you will, you know, my experience, I've been in a lot of HR roles in the professional world. So I've helped people through life transitions, whether they be work or, you know, professional or personal, but I never really shared. I wasn't ever vulnerable with you know my own journey. But then as now as I've written the book and I've become more vulnerable and more transparent about my own journey, it's like, could I do that? Could I come alongside people and support people? Not give them answers because I don't have any answers. I mean, I know some of what worked for me, but sometimes I didn't figure out what worked for me until years after the fact that I did something. Go, oh, that kind of worked. You know, it didn't work at the time. But that's the Job 213 project. It's something that I'm initiating um, again. In my bio, you talked about ripples because I'm not out to change the world. But if I can reach one person at a time, I mean, that's my focus. One person at a time. I don't do group sessions. If I can help one person come alongside one person and help them. And then they help somebody else. And then they help somebody. I mean, that, that's the ripple effect. And the Job 213 project is where it starts. And I categorize that. You know, I, I tell people, I'll come alongside you and whatever you need. It's not about what I need. It's not about what I know or don't know, and the, you know the five steps to get your life back together. I don't have five steps. It may be three steps for you. It may be thirty-seven steps for you. And I, when, and that's not my job to figure that out. That's your job to figure out what you need, and I will support you in that. And and that goes, like I said, back to the Job two thirteen of not speaking a word, just being being present, you know, and 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 being in the midst of that, and not being afraid of the pain. I think a lot of people are afraid of other, or they're uncomfortable with other people's pain, if you know what I mean. No, I know exactly what you mean. And, you know, one of, one of the things that when I read that, and, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a former therapist by trade, a former addictions counselor. Right. Um, and, but I've also taken a deep dive into uh, the, the field of thanatology or the study of death and dying. But one of the things mm -hmm. I discovered was a, a clinical philosophy put forth by Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun called expert companionship, where you uh -huh. throw out clinical expertise and the, 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 the focus of any therapist is to sit with that individual and companion them through their pain, be witness to yeah. their stories, support them Love it. just through their presence. And the minute I read about the Job 213 project, I said, yeah, that's expert yeah. companionship. From the in the biblical sense, that is expert companionship, where we're, yeah. where our presence, as opposed to our words, can be more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, yeah. And, and yep. And I, I I love that, and I, I'm glad you. you. I love that, and I wish you well with that. And I'll spread the message of that whatever whenever you you put that you put that out there. Great. Again. Thank you, Dave. And maybe when the pro, pro, the the project gets in full force, I can have you back for a return engagement. We can talk specifically yeah. about what you've Absolutely. seen with that and what the effect Absolutely. has been, been with, with the project. So, Sounds good. Well, thank you. And now, please give our listeners one or two takeaways from your life path that can help them effectively mm -hmm. navigate your challenge. So what can we learn from your life path that can, that can help us effectively navigate the uneven waters of, of, of challenge. Wow. That's a, that's a, 
That's 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 a question. How do you how do you narrow it down to, to one or two things, or even find those one or two things? At least for me, um, I know this is something we talked a little bit about, you know, previously. Uh, so I, I knew this this question was coming, but at the same time, it's like I struggle because I think I think there's a lot of takeaways from my journey as far as what I how how I handled it, which. I, I fully admit was not always the best way, you know, sh shutting everything down, not dealing with it, you know, not even acknowledging it other than to myself. It was like, it was like my own little secret that I, I was previously married and she died, you know, and that was, that was, I kept it to myself, um, if you will. It was like my own, my own, like I said, secret. That's not always the best way to go about it. Um, not that you should be out there broadcasting it. Maybe that works for some people, but I think finding out, you know what is what what is best for you um one of the things that 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 i say to a lot of people um and i'm going to um quote um uh, some song lyrics from the song bang a drum by bon jovi and chris ledoux where it says uh i don't claim to be a wise man a poet or a saint just another man who's searching for a better way that's been my journey as i go through life it's like i'm just searching for a better way and i think a lot of us are it's like um so taking those steps, whatever those steps are for you. And that's, that's sometimes I think living in the mystery too is where we find ourselves. And that can be an uncomfortable place to be. And that's one of the things I've learned is to kind of live in the mystery, but also to ask the questions of, God, what are you up to in all this? Because I don't see this working out at all, but you're up to something. I believe you're up to something. Oh, and I hope you clue me in on it as to what you're up to in all this. Because my life, especially in the last five years, uh, I know all of our lives with you know everything going on in the world have have have, have sometimes have drastically changed or, or taken turns that we did not expect. Um, and I'm no different. And you know, I have I have a different perspective on death. And I think I might have mentioned this um, on one of the panels we were on recently that. You know, I'm not scared of death. I'm scared of a painful death, mm -hmm. but death doesn't scare me, if you will. Um, and it's, it's something that's going to happen to all of us. And acknowledging that fact is a way to live. But I went a long time without acknowledging that fact. Like, I'm not even going to think about death. I'm not even going to deal with it. And I don't make it a priority. But at the same time, it's like, we've got today. You know, we've got this moment, if, if you will. And let's, 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 let's make the most of this moment. And do I fail at that? Absolutely. I, I fail at that. You know, some mornings I get up and it's like, oh, it's like whatever. The coffee's not as 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 good tasting or whatever. And it's like, and it's just like this is gonna be one of those days. But it's it's giving yourself grace, which I'm still struggling with also, and 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 trying to move forward and you know making life what it is because I do believe we only go around once. Um, and if I can help others on that, and that's the thing I've realized. You know, like I said again, I spent a lot of years not talking about my story, not sharing my story. And I'm, I'm realizing now that it's like, that's, that's what makes us human. And that's what makes us connect is our stories. Yep. They may be different. The experiences are different. The circumstances are different, but it's sharing our stories. And I, I love the oral tradition that we don't really have anymore, you know, of sitting around a campfire and telling stories or something. I, I, I think it'd be great if we could get back to more of that, of telling stories. I, I think so too. I think storytelling is very therapeutic. I know we mm -hmm. all have a we all have a story within us, and I think the biggest tragedy are stories that go untold, or stories that yeah. are dismissed. 
And right. I think for for many individuals who are going through a challenge, it starts with finding a community or a person who's going to sit and bear witness to your story and allow yeah. allow them to understand you and who you are and where you've come from. And from there, the 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 healing process can begin, you know, and the, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, of that being the first step in learning how to, to re-engage in life again. So right. um, I think it's great. And thank you for sharing those takeaways. I mean, you could have shared 37 if you wanted to, <laughs> you know, it's about, uh, it's about, it's about meeting everybody where they're at. Like you said, I mean, it right. might be Absolutely. Five, five steps for somebody, 37 for another. And as a therapist, yeah. I had to meet people where, where they were at. And I had to respect yeah. their individual differences in processing information, yep. in integrating information, and in terms of what was going to resonate for them. Because it's not the same for everybody. So, Of course. Right. So anyway, to wrap it up, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find out more mm -hmm. about your services? And what events or projects do you have going on currently that you would like our listeners to know about? Um best way to get a hold of me is probably my website, markshutter.com. Um, there's a, a link there. There's a, 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 to either get on my email list, which I'll be honest with you, I'm not real um, regular about sending out, you know, a newsletter uh, that tends to always go on the back burner. Um, so I would not inundate your email box with, with, with newsletters. Uh, I'm also on all the social media channels. Uh, most of them, you know, Mark Shutter. Uh, I do have a Facebook page, which is just Mark Wayne. Uh, Instagram is actually grief to greatness, but if you look up my my name also, it'll come up grief to greatness. Uh, so I do most of, I spend most of my time probably on Instagram, to be honest with you. Um, Facebook probably second. So those are good places to get a hold of me. Uh, I continue to work on, I think my own healing first and foremost, because that's where I can become a better husband, father, and, and a better man, you know, as, as I transition into my second chapter of life, because I realize I probably have less time in front of me than I do behind me. So um, getting to that age, but working on still continuing to write. I have drafted, I have manuscripts for a uh, novel trilogy called The Chronicles of Faith, which is not about faith, if you will. It's about an, uh, the, the, the um, protagonist is named Faith. So that's where it comes from, The Chronicles of Faith. Um, and there's a lot of grief woven into that, you know, based on my experience and, <clears throat> excuse me, the kind of the, the, the feelings of grief and kind of what I went through, if you will, um, from a different perspective, uh, different circumstances. I've also continued to write poetry. I am, I've got a couple ideas for a couple different grief books. One of them based on kind of where, where grief and the supernatural meet, both from a Christian perspective and from a pagan slash occultic perspective. Because I think there's a lot of supernatural that's woven into grief or can be woven into grief or can impact grief. And so there's that. Um, again, I've, I've done some other podcasts. Those are linked and on, on my sites, my link tree. Like you said, Tony, we've been on some panels together with the Global Grief Network. It's not hard to find me if you want to. Um, so a lot of things going, um, nothing in the immediate works. Um, again, putting some time into the Job 213 project and what does that actually look like in, in practice. Um, I've reached out to a few people and just kind of, kind of, kind of like I said, I'm, I'm you know, I, I said I'm not a certified counselor. I'm not a certified anything. I'm just a guy who walked through this experience. And hey, if you want somebody to come alongside you 
uh, I'll come alongside you, or at least at least let's have a conversation and see if maybe we're a good fit. You know, to somebody that might be able to mentor you or support you in any way that I can. You know, and even pray for you. So, I I like that because you'll walk the path with somebody, but you won't walk it for them. And we can't walk. We we have right. to walk it with them, and we can't walk it for them. Yeah, absolutely, and, absolutely. And, and also, with all the stuff you got going on, my friend, show some grace for yourself too. You, you say, say that to everybody else. Show some grace to yourself I do. too. Oh, thank you, thank you, Dave. Well, thank I appreciate you. that. You're welcome, um, Mark. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our conversation tremendously, and I hope we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Like I said, I got, I have, I have very, very little to hide anymore. So it's like this is who I am. This Me is my too. Story. Me too. This is yeah. who I am, and I've I got nothing. Yep. What you see is what you get. So, and that's that's good though. It is good. Well, with that, that's a wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. Until next time, I wish you peace, and this is Dave Roberts signing off. <laughs>